hello, hello, and welcome to the Eli and Mike show live. We're here with Mr. John McKinney. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So excited. So honored. <laughs> yeah, we're very excited to have you here. And honestly, you know, we appreciate you coming all the way down here, even though you're in L.A. But yeah. Right, right. But the thing is, it's it's fascinating to have a politician for once in our in our show. Oh, yeah. great. Um, it's it's not unusual. We actually are very open to the community and many different people of all sorts of business natures. And uh, I feel honored that you're here, especially in knowing that you're a candidate. Yes. That's going for the L.A. district attorney position. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm the one that's excited to be. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank we're you. nothing. But, you know, we're, we're trying <laughs> we're trying to get up there with you. Right, right, um, yeah. But, you know, coming all the way down here um, from afar, uh, we'll love to ask you a few things, and hopefully uh, you enjoy this podcast. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure I will, and hopefully the audience will get some information about this DA's race and maybe a little bit about how the criminal justice system works in general. So it should be a good hour. Yeah, sounds powerful. I love that. Powerful. I love that. So, you know, you're you're running as uh, for the L.A. District Attorney position, uh, I guess, against, uh, I, I don't know if I want to say his last name, but I think you, you bring <laughs> it up a lot very often in your media. Mm-hmm. But um, that individual you're going against, what, what makes you believe, and again, it's a very hard question, but what makes you believe as the current existing politician that you are right now that the position that you have should be able to overrule or overrun what he's doing right now? Okay, first of all, I'm not a politician. <laughs> oh, oh, you're not? Okay. okay. No. I, in a sense, I am because okay. uh, the, DA's, the DA's position is an elective office, so you have to Got run it. for it. Okay. But I am a lifelong lawyer and prosecutor who just happens to have to run for office to get the job. Got it. It's a little different from okay. some of these politicians who just run for office after office. That's not what I'm about. Okay, perfect. Thank you for uh, Well, you know, I think people appreciate that because no, pol- politicians are kind of low on the scale of, <laughs> of uh, admiration right now. Um, and I want to do something that. about that, right? I want to yeah. I want to raise the level of trust and appreciation that people have in their elected officials. Mm-hmm. I'm an everyman, and I think what distinguishes me in this race from everybody else is I grew up just like most of the people who are out there watching us now. I was born uh, into a low-income neighborhood. I lost my mother at two years old. I then lost my father at five years old. Five years old, I was kind of left alone in the world briefly until my sister stepped up and, and for all intents and purposes, adopted me and raised me as part of her family. She was a single mother of five kids in the 70s trying to do it all with a high school education. Uh, so she, she's my hero. She's an amazing woman. And I tell people, she's the star of my old life story. I'm oh just a co-star in my old life wow. uh, story. That's beautiful. And what's her name? Aura. Aura Jones. I'm yes. Shout out to Aura. That is so beautiful. It gave me the chills. <laughs> Thank like, you for allowing me to say her name. Yeah, I appreciate what it. A beautiful name. And it's like, you know, she was kind of, she had like this aura to protect <laughs> you over you and watch over you. That's it's so right. beautiful. So you no, know, uh, she, she is for me the angel, the guardian angel. Uh, and in some sense, uh, I want to become that guardian angel for Los Angeles. Fantastic. The wow. district attorney's job is to keep us safe. Yes. The current office holder is not doing that. Right. I know we can do better. I know I can do better. And that's why I'm running. And and yeah. can we talk about that? You know, the current, you know, person in place of this position, it seems as L.A., it's just a whole nother world now. It, it's It seems to be so dangerous from hate crimes to homelessness. Uh, how are you going to step in, you know, to look out for the city of Los Angeles? Uh, because obviously right now it doesn't seem to be being looked at after correctly, you know? 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. And if people would just think back three, four, five years ago, it didn't feel this right. Way. We right. weren't perfect, but it didn't feel this bad. What we need is a reset. So on the day that I get sworn in, mm -hmm. as soon as I drop my my right hand, yeah. we're going into change mode. I really want to spark a revolution in how we understand and execute the criminal justice system in L.A. County. A, a hallmark of what I want to do is crime prevention, which no DA has really embraced before. We've got to get upstream to our young boys before they come into contact with the system. If we really want to make meaningful change, we've got to go get them when they're still innocent and when they can still be um, shaped uh, as good citizens and as people who see themselves in the world beyond 25 years old. Got it. Long-term planning, yeah. focus on education, building a skill, whatever it might be. Uh, there's some efforts to do that now, but we can do better, and I think the district attorney can play a large role in that. So on day one, that goes into effect. I've got to repeal some of these bad policies that the current office holder put in place mm -hmm. and replace them with common sense policies that are fair and just and proportional but we can't allow criminals to run all over us right? because they will if yeah. we let them. You're seeing that now. Of uh, that's going to that's gonna come to a stop. It's, it's all over the news. You know, um, you can't even go shopping now, it seems like, in Los Angeles County without looking over your shoulder, you know, that somebody might be there. It's, it's very dangerous. It's very, it's very random. It used to be, and I don't know, I'm not saying this was better, mm -hmm. but it used to be that you could predict crime. There were certain places you knew not to go. Mm -hmm. There were certain times you knew not to go certain places. Right. There were there were hotheads that if they live in your neighborhood, you could avoid because uh, it was like that when I was growing up. Everybody knew, you know, what park not to go to. Right. Or you could go there, but not after eight o'clock. Now it's totally random. You could be shopping anywhere in Los Angeles yeah. and something could jump off right next to you. And you know what's interesting about what you said? We actually know maybe about five people in our circle that actually have people have invaded their privacy, have stolen things from their property. And you're right. It's not just specific zoned areas It's mm -hmm. everywhere, everywhere. And it's unfortunate because they're, they now feel un unsafe. They don't feel something's good at their property. They have kids. So I feel like definitely a change in those policies that you're looking to do right now is going to be very important for our future. Cause right now, let's be real. We go outside where I'm in Beverly Hills, no more than maybe two minutes from here. It all the chaos already starts. Yes, you know, and yeah. I feel like someone like yourself who is assertive and direct and want to seek the right answers from people and want to pass these policies is going to create that justice that we're seeking. And, and I will, and it and it will be for Beverly Hills, and it will be for Brentwood and Pacific Palisades. But you know where else it's going to be for East LA, yes. and South LA, Amazing. because the residents of those communities suffer a lot longer than the more affluent communities, because by the time crime bubbles up and reaches the more affluent communities, they have been suffering with it for a long time. Years. So yeah, we, we need um, to treat all our communities. We're all connected. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'll tell you, I've been to some places in LA County where I've talked to certain city councils about the violence in South LA and East LA, and I've heard, shockingly, oh, well, that's not our problem. Our problem is this. Wow. And I said, no, 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 no. Right. If it's a problem anywhere, it's a problem everywhere because your people don't just stay in your city. 
They work over here. They play over there. They go to restaurants over here. They drive through different communities. We're all connected. We got to start seeing it that way. Yeah, and it, uh, you know, I believe what you have for you know LA County um, is you have compassion, and I feel that a lot of these uh, you know individuals in place they don't have this compassion. Where where does this compassion come from? I know you said your sister raised you. Did she kind of you know show you how to be this compassionate person? Because you're looking after all of LA County, this is huge. It's not just one person. You're like, let's all connect and let's figure this out. Right, right. 10 million people in our county. Wow. We are larger than 40 states in the United States of America. I'm running for a countywide seat. This race is bigger than statewide races in 40 states in the country. Wow. wow. Uh, but where did the, does the compassion come from? Yes. This is a question that I've pondered actually <laughs> over time <laughs> because I am incredibly empathetic and yes. compassionate. I think it comes from the loss of my father. I, you know, I already lost my mother. I have no memory of my mother, sadly. Uh, but my father, I do remember. And he, he, even though I was young, he was still that larger-than-life figure in my life. And when I lost him, um, it kind of rewired my sense of priorities about life. Mm-hmm. When other kids were sweating things that young kids worry about or teenagers worry about, yeah. it never seemed like a big deal to me because I had this appreciation for life itself. Uh, and I carry that with me in the job I have today. I've prosecuted over 40 murder cases to trial. Wow. Uh, over 50 killers in prison for killing innocent people. And in each one of those cases, I've left a little bit of me behind. Uh, for me, it's not just going through the law and the facts. It's, it's about getting into the life of the victim and understanding who they were and trying to get that across to a jury as much as I can. Right. Um, and I think that comes from just losing my dad at such an early age. That That's that's such a, you know, you definitely have such a big heart. You know, I think, you know, you have 25 years of experience in your position and, and things that you're doing and pushing forward to try to change things. And it's not easy. I'm sure you wake up every morning and you're like, you probably even have to look at your back and see if anybody's after you. I mean, let, let's be real. You're prosecuting people. Right. right. And your name's thrown out there in the justice system. People yeah. people know, right? Yeah. People in jail can say your name. Like, oh, that guy's the one that put me behind bars. Oh, yeah. So right. are you not scared? Are you afraid of waking up every morning, doing your job every single day? Uh, I'm not afraid. In fact, I live in a neighborhood where I've prosecuted a lot of gang members. I shop at the same supermarkets that their family and friends go to. I have been recognized many times in public, but I'm never afraid because I do the job the right way. Like I really have the respect. I think of most of the people that I've prosecuted. Some of them have even told me during breaks in the trial. I see you McKinney. (laughs) You're good. You're good. (laughs) Things that jurors don't hear, but, but we hear, right. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm very above board, very transparent. I stick to the facts. I don't engage in name calling. And there's a certain respect that comes with that from judges, from defense attorneys, and even defendants themselves. I'm not saying everyone was happy with me, <laughs> but that's the way I approach the job. And so I go on with without fear. Now, where it does get a little dangerous is not from the defendants, because most of the people I've prosecuted went off to prison for a long time because that's the nature of the work I've been doing. Of course. It's the family members, the ones who think that the defendant was actually innocent. You right. Know, he told them one story. He didn't yeah. tell them the real story. Right. Those are the ones you have to kind of worry about from time to time. Interesting. Definitely. definitely. Uh, 
you work in so many different areas of, of life from, you know, the justice system to even homelessness, um, you know, the unhoused. And right now it just seems to be going crazy in Los Angeles County. You know, we were driving here today and I mean, the amount of homeless people we saw at, you know, 7 a.m. in the morning was just mind blowing. Um, do you have, you know, something that you're going to be able to fight this homelessness? I know uh, you have some things that may happen if you are the DA. Right. Yeah. I've been spending, um, I won't say a lot of time, but certainly more time than before I took on this run for DA with homeless advocates, with lawmakers out on the street myself. I participated in two nights of the homeless count. Mm. I've been down the skid row several times talking to the people there. It is a very complex problem. Yes. It is the, I think, humanitarian crisis of our day mm -hmm. with over 45,000 um, 45, people sleeping on our streets just in the city of L.A., 75,000 in the county of L.A. every night. Oh and those numbers will probably go up. And the, and the more money we spend trying to deal with it, the higher the numbers go. Right. Mm. Um, the district attorney has to play a role here. And it, 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 the role the DA plays has to be reflective of the person and the nature of the crime that the person engages, to, engages in or if the person is a victim. Because we see the unhoused in two ways. They come to us as victims. That gives us an opportunity to help them. They also come to us as defendants. And I've always said being unhoused cannot be a defense to a crime. We can't criminalize the mere fact that somebody has no place to go or sleep. Right. Uh, but when that person engages in violence toward another person, threats toward another person, or goes into our businesses and wreaks havoc and steals, those are crimes that have to be prosecuted. Right. Now, strategically, we can prosecute those crimes by trying to divert or guide those people into a housing situation with some services. Um, or we can prosecute them the traditional way. I'd rather push them into a situation where they can get the help that they need or the resources they need to maybe go back home and reunite with their family or their church or whatever it might be. Amazing. Uh, because we don't want to just wholesale lock people up. Exactly. That's a never ending cycle. Right. And that's not helping anybody. Right. But it, we have to confront it. Like enough is enough hey. is enough. Yes. You know, we, we yes. deserve to have our public spaces, exactly. our sidewalks, our parks. Yes. And you don't have to go back too far to know that it doesn't have to be this way. Right. Mm -hmm. But the cat is out of the bag running around and we got to try to catch it. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. Totally. We don't even go to the parks anywhere anymore because we automatically assume there's going to be somebody homeless there. And, and it's not to be against the homeless individual. It's more of, we don't know what their intentions are. Right. right. And, it's, and yeah. again, it's, it might be their fault. It might not be. So that's something thrown in the air. Yeah, parks, we, coffee shops. I anywhere. I mean, outside, it's just, it's such a difficult thing. And I'm sure it's going to be a battle going forward, trying to figure that out. Yeah. And actually, no. and actually, why, why do you believe that it go, it just keeps, the numbers just keep going higher every year. You know, we put these individuals in place um, to protect us, like the DA, and it's just, it, the numbers just keep getting higher, even though we're spending more money. What, why do you think that is? I think there's several factors. Uh, one is that Southern California is somewhat of a destination for people who don't really have a plan for life. Um, I think a lot of people come here chasing fame and run out of resources. I think that 
we as taxpayers are very generous and provide a safety net for for people and they know that so if you're going to take a chance it's not a bad place to come obviously right. the weather makes it more conducive than say the northeast of course mm -hmm. um so i think all of those are factors that that lead to it but then you know we have some other structural problems here we have housing un unavailability housing unaffordability that plays a role the biggest driver, though, I believe, is drug addiction. Mm. It is the biggest driver of homelessness. We have some lax drug laws in California now. We've reduced the possession of all drugs to misdemeanors. And in L.A. County, we have a D.A. currently who will not even prosecute drug crimes as misdemeanors. So in some sense, we are encouraging more and more drug use. Wow. Um, a lot of people might frown when I say this, but I don't believe that legalizing marijuana was the right move. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't believe in criminalizing small amounts of marijuana because mm -hmm. we got better things to do than put people in jail for yeah. that. Yeah. But going so far as to make it legal and putting, you know, these weed shops in neighborhoods like mm -hmm. like South LA, they're they're starting to pop up all over the place. Right. That's inconsistent with the society that also recognizes that drug use is harming people, especially young people. And I, you know, I'm, I'm out of my depth in talking about whether marijuana is a gateway drug or not. I know that debate goes on. Mm -hmm. I just don't see why it's necessary. Got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like even al alcohol, we're stuck with alcohol. Right. 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 You, you could go back to pre-civilization. <laughs> alcohol yeah. is just so ingrained in the fabric of every culture you're not getting rid of that right but we should be holding a line against these other drugs mm -hmm. and now i hear talk of just making all hard drugs legal it will be a wow. disaster we've heard these that. drugs today are not the drugs of 20 years ago right they are causing brain damage in people right. and then you wonder why there's so many dual diagnosed people on our streets who have brain damage and are addicted Drugs are driving a big part. I, of it. I have a, a family member. I will name his. I will name him. But he took a drug back when he was in high school, just twice. Never the same to this to this day and age. He's not even the same person. So I agree. It's we the drugs we we now create them in these these and they're even right now. They're worse now. They're in laboratory. Whatever they're playing with mm -hmm. chemicals and who knows what. All they care about is making that money. Whoever's selling it. But I feel like definitely doing something with that would help fix things because I I feel like the drugs kind of help lead lead way to the opening of every other crime that has happened because i don't I, I personally i don't and i could be wrong I'm, I'm not in the legal system like that but i assume that drugs allow and, and allow the perception of certain people and like criminals and future felons to just do what they want to because i feel like the drug kind of numbs their minds and they're kind of like oh it's okay i don't even i'm not even here right now so i feel like controlling that substance abuse or at least removing the hard drugs and maybe like you said about the marijuana and maybe the smaller drugs to just be uh, like somehow minimized or nurtured differently so right. that it doesn't become so atomic, right? Like right. all of a sudden it's accessible everywhere you turn. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I agree that uh, drug addiction drives a lot of crime. A lot of the theft crime that we see, especially by the unhoused, is driven by their desire to get that next hit. And it's not just, to, it's not for them, it's not to get high anymore because their tolerance is so high, they don't feel the high anymore. Right. They're trying to avoid feeling sick. Mm. And for them, that drug now is medicine. So they'll break into your car, they'll crawl under your car, cut off parts of your car, yeah. they'll go right. into CVS, they'll do whatever it takes 
to get that medicine, quote unquote, to avoid feeling sick. And one of the biggest uh, problems right now, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the fentanyl. Yes. Is that correct? Fentanyl deaths are up over a thousand percent since 2016. Oh my God. It, it's in everything now. And it's the number one killer of young people. It's the number one killer of people on Skid Row. Um, oh. And it's killing people so quietly. You remember the 80s and 90s when we had the crack cocaine epidemic. Right, right, right. right. That was a noisy uh, kind of mm. of of crime um, syndrome mm -hmm. because it was playing out on our streets. You had gangs shooting each other. There was a lot of ancillary mm -hmm. violence around that and, and it fostered this sense of crisis. Mm -hmm. But fentanyl is killing people quietly. You're right. You know, people are just coming across bodies laying in an alley. They call the police and they come get them. No shots fired, no war, just quietly killing people. And, I, and it's taking our lawmakers way too long to recognize the dangers of fentanyl. Oh. Even this past year, there was an effort to get a law passed that would warn fentanyl dealers after they've been uh, convicted that if you deal in the future and someone dies, you can be prosecuted for murder. Very simple warning. Our lawmakers wouldn't let that go through. No way. It's like, come on. We do that for alcohol, by the way. In every DUI case... The person has read a warning that alcohol is dangerous. If you drive under the influence and you kill someone, you are now on notice that you can be charged with murder. Think that's Every DUI case. Wow. There was an effort to do that for fentanyl, mm -hmm. and our lawmakers said no. And it's up a thousand percent, and they still couldn't push this one right. law that would now, say I, I, I don't know about you, but I think 90% of people would want that kind of warning issue. Yeah. What's the harm? Yeah, exactly. Right. Our lawmakers said no. Oh, my gosh. This so, is shocking. So I like your assertiveness, like I said earlier. So what are, what's your thought on second chances? So let's just say somebody, not let's not discuss murder. I, that's a very touchy subject. But let's just say somebody did um, a hard drug, and maybe they did steal something, and they did it again, right? So maybe the first time they got through the system, everything worked out, and they did it again. What's your thought on giving people second chances? Oh, I absolutely believe in second, even third chances. Uh, there, People fall into three categories. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, I'll make it three just for the sake of this conversation. <laughs> yes, okay. yes. There are ordinary people like the people in this room right now. Yes. Good people, hardworking, taxpaying, who just mess up every once in a while. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they have one drink too many. Uh, maybe they, they got angry and they broke something that belonged to another person. You know, crimes, but uh, not like major crimes. Those people absolutely need to have a little check on what they did, yes. but nothing that's going to disrupt their lives in any material way because we don't want that. Mm -hmm. right. Then there are people who just can't get their act together. You know, you give them a second chance, three months later they're back. You give them a third chance, a year later they're back. <laughs> and then there are those third, that third category of people who do things that are just so serious you got to punish them for it. Yes. So for with regard to the first category, second chances all day, okay. really. For that middle category, you know, after a third or fourth chance, you just got to say, all right, uh, obviously you just want to go to jail. You don't <laughs> want my program. Right. You don't want to go to the counseling. You don't want to do the community service, so just go do your time in jail and then you can start fresh. 
And then for that third category that threatens people or harms people, then then they have to go away for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That while depends on what they do and how bad their criminal history is uh, until they get right. You know, and they got to put in the work to get right. And then obviously when they come back, we do have to give them a way to come back. Of course. You know, just giving them $50 when they walk out of prison and say good luck is not enough. We do have to make it easier for people to on-ramp back into society, get a job, get housing. Otherwise, they're just going to go back to committing crime That's because that's what they know. I, um, I actually have a question about the, the, um, the prisons and the jails. I hear, and maybe I'm wrong, but I hear this a lot, that they're um, overflowing with individuals, which means people are getting prosecuted. But is there something wrong right now with our, you know, justice system, the prisons, the jails? Why are they, you know, overflowing? Are they just not being controlled correctly? Are they not being looked at correctly? Because uh, there's days where we even hear that, well, because our our prisons are so full, we're just going to let out a mass amount of people. And then, you know, individual individuals like us were on the street, like, well, why and what's going on? And are these prisons not running how they should be? All right. I'm going to try to keep this short, but I okay. think this will be helpful. Thank you. Thank I you. want people out there to think of our criminal justice system as not a system, but systems. Mm-hmm. Every state has its own criminal justice system. Every state has its own state constitution and its own penal code. Each one is distinct. And even within a state like California, we have one state constitution, one penal code, but we have... Um, 58 counties. Each county has its own superior court and its own district attorney. So it operates a little differently. L.A. County is very different from Orange County. Got it. Right. You you know, if you go down to Orange County or you go up to Ventura County and you do something, the law is going to look at it a lot differently from if you do it in L.A. There are things in L.A. that you can get away with. You can't get away with in other places. Got it. So we have criminal justice systems. What tends to happen is people will hear about something that happens in one state and as a, there's the criminal justice system is unfair. Mm. But that's Alabama. Got it. No, that's I not California. Okay. Wow. So with regard to our criminal justice system, which I, I consider to be L.A. County, the, the largest in the country. Right. We do have a jail capacity problem. We have a men's central jail that was designed in the 50s built in the 60s and needed to replace probably as early as 1990. And here we are in 2024 and we can't get that jail replaced. Now, here's the problem with not replacing it. It's not just a capacity problem because there's no place to put people, especially people who are mentally ill and or drug addicted. Got it. Uh, The the building is falling apart. It's a dungeon. It's inhumane. It is it is putting people in custody in an undignified environment. And is that the uh, prison that we see on the freeway when we're coming here? Yeah. Um, you, you see yeah, Central yeah. Jail. And yeah. yeah. Twin Towers aren't That's much right. better, but they're at least more modern than the Central Jail. We need a new jail campus that is fit for the 21st century and the problems that we face today. We probably need 6,000 secure beds for the mentally ill where professionals can go in and treat them without fearing that, you know, on any given day, they might lose their life in a dungeon. Of course. Mm-hmm. We need beds for, secure beds for drug addicted people until they're well enough to move to an outpatient situation. 
Right. These are things that we all say we want and expect from our criminal justice system. And I think in in L.A. County, we pay for. We're very heavily taxed here. Mm -hmm. But our lawmakers don't find a political need to deliver. So something is going to have to change amongst the people to tell their elected officials, especially the board of supervisors, the four women at the moment who control the purse strings for L.A. County. You need three out of five. They've got to be convinced that we need a new jail, that this is just ridiculous. Um, Everybody's focused on the World Cup coming to town. They're focused on the Olympics coming to town. And they're talking about, you know, getting L.A. ready. Well, why don't we start with a brand new jail campus? Not because we're, you know, high on or we get some kind of thrill out of punishing people. Mm -hmm. No, we do need a place. Right. To set people aside for a while Mm -hmm. uh, that's dignified and safe for them. If you really believe in rehabilitation the way I do, you got to have the environment for it. You got to have the facility for it. You can't put somebody in a basement that's cold and leaky pipes, rusting cells, and think that you're going to rehabilitate them in that environment. I feel like I feel like many many whether it's voters or whether it's the the legal system I feel like people believe that if we build something new it's going to be more like luxurious and they're going to feel like there's going to be this amazement to it that now they feel like they're staying at the Ritz Carlton and they are trying to prevent that but you're right they're staying in this dungeon that you know whatever the the feels must be crazy just going into something so cold and dark that by the time you get out all you know is cold and dark. You know, so I, I agree with you. I feel like something different like that is very important, um, and we definitely do pay for it. Um, so, you know, to switch the subject a little bit, um, we are members of the LGBTQIA plus um, community. Uh, we're within no more than a couple miles from West Hollywood. What's your thought on hate? There's so much hate, hate crimes all over the place. I mean, people are getting bashed for just being who they are, what they want to be, and I feel like that's something that we grew up to be who we want to be, right? What's your thought on how we can prevent or what can we what can we do to cure that problem? Well, for one thing, we need a new district attorney. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, and I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Um, as an African-American who grew up poor mm-hmm. and, and having life take me through a, a really interesting journey, winding and upward. I went from a community where we were kind of all the same into rooms and environments where I was the other. Mm. And I heard a lot of cringeworthy things, even in the criminal justice system. Wow. Uh, So I'm very sensitive to it, obviously. And when our current DA first got elected, maybe the most shocking thing he did on his first day in office was to announce we would no longer prosecute hate crimes. Wow. We would no longer prosecute hate crimes. Notwithstanding the fact that he got a lot of support from the black community, the Jewish community, and the LGBTQ plus communities. So I was shocked right now. Now, as you might imagine, all of those communities said, what? Right. Uh, We're saying what right now? I'm like, Like, what? what No. quickly walked that back. He walked it back in word, but not in spirit. Mm. Because he hasn't done anything over the last three and a half years to build a robust division in the DA's office to educate the community about hate, um, to train lawyers in the office on how to, first of all, how to identify these crimes. You have to have real cultural sensitivity 
yet to know that hate is even at play. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, and and, you know, we don't have the, enough lawyers to prosecute those crimes when it happens. So whether it's anti-Semitism or anti-LGBTQ plus uh, violence, mm-hmm. or African-Americans year in and year out are the most victimized mm-hmm. of, of hate crimes across the country. We're doing a poor job in the DA's office right now. There are two people, two people out of 800 lawyers who are specifically assigned to deal with hate crimes. I mean, that's not even, I mean, geez, wow. That's not enough people for all the millions and millions of people we have in California. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so, so shocking. Okay, so shocking. so do you believe that the current DA, Gascon, is he just comfortable? Is he just... Uh, what we would call chilling in the yeah, seat. I mean, I, mean I, I, I don't know the man, but I see him on film and, you know, his promotions and whatnot. And I don't feel the energy there. I don't feel the compassion. I don't feel life, honestly, coming out of him to say I'm representing all the Los Angeles County. Right. Yeah. No, he seems very robotic in the role. Yeah. And the reason for that is he is not a lawyer. He, he's a lawyer technically. He's not a prosecutor. Mm, got it. Um, Mr. Gascon is a law enforcement administrator. Mm. He, he grew up in the LAPD. He became an, a top administrator there. He left, became chief of police of a couple of other cities. Got it. And then one day somebody just appointed him to be the DA up in San Francisco. Despite the fact he never worked for a DA's office, he never prosecuted any crimes. In fact, he never did anything as a lawyer. He got his degree, he passed the bar, and did nothing else. Oh, wow. So when you take someone like that and put them in charge of the largest local prosecuting agency in the country, which is L.A. County, right? you're putting them, you're setting them up for failure, number one. Even right. if, and I'm not saying he does, but even if he did have the best of intentions, yeah. he's not capable of, of doing the job. Like Malcolm Gladwell said, right? Mm-hmm. Every, everyone becomes an expert after they put 10,000 hours into their craft, of right? Course. Amazing. Um, he didn't put in his 10,000 hours, wow. and it shows, wow. and it shows. And, and so he does. He comes across as kind of cold and disconnected and unempathetic. Right. And I think it's because he's in a, he's in a foreign space. Mm-hmm. He's in a space that he doesn't know how to navigate. Wow. Sounds like you're, like we're putting a, a, a how do you call this? We're putting an accountant to do a sur- uh, like a surgeon's job. Like what in the, how is that even possible? It's the best is if you needed open heart surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Would you go to somebody who's done, I don't know, a thousand open heart surgeries? Mm-hmm. Or would you go to somebody who's the administrator of the hospital who is a doctor technically? Right but has never performed an open-heart surgery. Yeah. You're not going to go to that person, no. I'm pretty sure. No, we're not. No way. Wow, this is that is intense. This is intense. I, I, I'm so shook by the fact yeah. that this is even allowed. I mean, but you know what's interesting is that every time I see the ballot, the ballot, when, they, when we're voting for anybody that's a possible elective, it does have their description of their position. So sometimes because we dislike, or actually that's a hard word, but sometimes we don't agree with certain actions that certain people in certain positions have, that the only other options we have is people that don't have that knowledge. So a question for you, so how do we prevent, I mean, I guess maybe there is an answer, but how do we prevent somebody taking position if there really isn't that many people to pick from? Well, a big part of what we need to do for, there's certain jobs 
elected offices that are very, very important. Sheriff is very important. Mm -hmm. DA is the most important in my view. Yes, yeah. Uh, And then, you know, your board of supervisors, most people don't know anything about maybe sheriff they they've know something about but most of the other ones they they just go based on very little information that's why this podcast is so good this mm-hmm. morning thank you um but yeah they look at the name mm-hmm. sometimes and if it's a certain ethnic sounding name maybe they vote for that person because they right. identify with the name right sometimes they look at the little description under the name and they go oh i like that mm-hmm and you could be voting for the worst possible person that way. In this particular race, there are 12 people on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm pretty sure most voters will have never heard of at least half of them. Right. And, and that's a problem. So as much as I hate to wag my finger at people that I need to vote for me, mm-hmm. we have to do a better job as, as citizens to understand what's going on in our own communities. I feel like I agree with you. I feel like us as citizens, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I all even agree. I voted for somebody maybe 15 years ago. I never paid attention. I'm like, I just don't like the current guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just voted for Yeah. And, you, and I think a lot of voters just roulette the fact of, I'll pick this yeah. guy because yeah. I just like the way the name sounds. Right. I'm not going to disagree with that. Right. I've even done like, this is horrible. You know, <laughs> but again, it was like, I mean, 10, 15 real. years when also I didn't know it was like A, B or C mm-hmm. literally. And I would do like C. I'm like, oh, that one just you, you know what I think? And again, this is just me as a citizen's opinion, but maybe putting some kind of uh, website, some link underneath their name where people can go and say, all right, let me see what, the, what this guy's about. Make it so dumb proof so that people can actually go. All right, let me see what this guy's about. That's actually a great idea. That's very innovative especially since we're doing mail-in ballots now. Right. Now, it's kind of hard to do research when you're at the polling place and people are lined up behind you. Well, that's difficult, right. yeah. When you get True. that paper ballot, yeah. why not have a QR code Agreed. that goes to the Thank candidate's God. website? Absolutely. Powerful. Oh I, that's nobody's thought about it. I wouldn't be surprised if we if we see that in the yeah. future. Definitely. Do you, do you believe in the last election that um, uh, Mr. Gascon, he just had, people that were doing the a b or c or the name because well, he was you know he was in san francisco so people oh he was a da before so let me just vote for him again no i think uh, mr gascon be- benefited from a perfect storm of odd occurrences it became a change election this was the summer of 2020 you remember there was covid oh there goodness. were uprisings in the yep. street wow absolutely uh george floyd was killed and that affected the whole world right and if you were an incumbent especially an incumbent da at a time when police were being assailed for attacking the community and not being held accountable and our da had not prosecuted many police officers for on the job violence Mm -hmm. and and people just thought oh we need a change and despite the fact that she was a historically elected first-time woman, first-time African-American DA Mm -hmm. who served two terms with distinction. And her second term, no one even bothered to run against her. She was uh, perceived as doing such a great job. And she almost won in the primary in that year of 2020. She came within two percentage points of clearing the field in the primary. And then a lot of things happened afterwards that, that benefited him. But I say to this day, very few people went into the polls or opened their ballot and said, I want to vote for him. Mm-hmm. They just voted for him because he was the other. 
and it became a change election. He kind of backed into the job. He backed into the job, and uh, and now we're seeing what that looks like three and a half years later. In a time where so many people were confused, like you said, 2020, the summer of 2020, I don't even need to explain it. You just say that, and we all know, mm -hmm. you know, how that summer went and how confused people were and angry people were. Yes. Very. You know, before you came here, I, I was, uh, we did some research of, of you, um, <laughs> but you ha you're so humble and now I know why I think you would do very well in your, in this position because you have the natural, you're living in this natural habitat of not everybody that, that lives in LA. We have situations that happen in our life. You know, you had your situations with your mom, your dad, you have your amazing sister, Ara, and, um, and I think that there's so much that you can provide to the community because you've been there. You've tasted problems. You've, you're still tasting them because now you're running for a position that allows you to maybe fix the problem so that it doesn't happen to other people mm -hmm. um, or at least help them get out of it. Um, and I think that's very difficult, especially for certain people that, are, that feel privileged to just fill in that position because they're just maybe the names known a little bit more in certain circles mm -hmm. or they're getting money. I mean, I'm not saying too much about that, but maybe they're getting money from the right pockets. Um, but I feel like you're not influenced by power or money. I don't feel that energy from you. I feel like you are just a real humanitarian that wants to fix yeah. a problem. You know, you just gave me chills when you said that because that's exactly how I feel. Uh, I'm not running for the title. I'm not running to be famous. I'm running because I want to roll up my sleeves and fix some hard problems. And, and maybe fix is not even the right word. I'm running to make those things better because there's some problems that they're not really solvable, but they're manageable. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I want to get in there and try to manage some of these problems so we get better outcomes. And and that's really why I'm running. If, if you talk to the people that I work with, they, they held a vote at, at the DA's office of mm -hmm. all the um, deputy DA's. And uh, over 500 had an opportunity to vote. 355 voted. I got 64.7% of the vote out of 12 candidates, wow. which is kind of unheard of. Wow. Uh, so 64.7% of my peers voted for me to be the next DA. Amazing. Because after working with me for a quarter of a century, they know me. They know my heart. They know my work ethic. They um, know my integrity. And I'm the kind of leader that they want to follow. The current office holder got six votes out of wow. 350. Is that something? Wow. wow. I am just, wow, mind blown. So, so I think that's right. And if you ask people in the DA's office about me, a lot of them will tell you I support John because he's running for the right reasons. That's the phrase that I keep hearing over and over. He's running for the right reasons. He's not a stepping stone to anything. Again, I'm not trying to get a title. Uh, I'm very content in my life. I just think I have more, more to offer, and I think I have more to offer than the other people running. Otherwise, I'd be supporting one of them. It's that, that simple for me. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, so if, if people want to go to the polls and vote for you, I mean, do, if you don't mind providing that information and feedback to everybody, when can, when are you actually, um, when can we vote for you? When are the doors open for us to vote for that position? Okay, let, let me look directly at the audience yes. when I say this. Uh, voting has started already. Mail-in ballots were mailed out last week. They're probably sitting in your junk mail or maybe on your kitchen counter someplace. Uh, and you have until March 5th to fill out that ballot. Now, if you're like me, 
uh, you like going to a voting center and voting in person. I just love the ritual of doing that. Yes. Those voting centers will be opening next week, I believe, 10 days before the final day to vote, and you'll be able to go in and vote for, for in, in person. Um, I want to earn your support. When you get down ballot after president, after Senate, you're going to see district attorney and you're going to see 12 names. I'm asking you to look for John McKinney. Under my name, it says supervising district attorney. And it says that because I've been supervising a courthouse in East L.A. for over a year now. Running the courthouse, dealing with the judges, dealing with the public, supervising deputy DAs and staff. So not only do I have an amazing body of work as a trial lawyer and an advocate, I also have experience supervising an entire courthouse. Um, so that that's how you vote and how I hope you will vote. Amazing. I, I love that. Amazing. That's so beautiful. We're definitely voting and we love going to the polls too and voting in person. The ritual is just feels amazing. You know, you're, we, we really, when we mark that person, we really mean it. Now we do because yeah. before we did it, <laughs> Before we didn't know what we were doing. So, you know, you being here today is educating so many individuals and us included. Um, but I, I'll have another question for you. So, you know, police, uh, you know, the justice system, you, you're a prosecutor. Uh, again, like you said, things changed a lot since 2020. We're sitting here in 2024. Uh, it feels like not many people trust the justice system as in like the police and the people who are there to protect you um you know people kind of lost hope Mm -hmm. Uh, not us we've always believed in it you know we are those people who go to a restaurant we're eating at a restaurant and if we see like a cop or a firefighter whoever it may be we're the ones that are like hey you're like the true heroes let we pay for your lunch you know paying for your meal um you know how are you going to strengthen the community to you know, build that trust back with this justice system, the police, the people that are going to be there to protect us. That, that's the most important foundational step. We talked about day one changes, um, taking the oath, dropping that hand and then going to work. We have to pull back the curtain on our criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. I have what I call a community action plan. It's designed to empower, make the community feel empowered. I want to bring the community into the DA's office as much as I can. Wow. Now, obviously, a lot of the work we do is confidential until it's made public. Mm -hmm. But I want to build a table and provide a seat at that table for our faith community. I should be interacting as DA with the faith community on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Wow. I want to be, I want to interact with the business community and not just big businesses, but the small mom and pop businesses, because mm-hmm. I want to know what's going on in your neighborhood. How are you being impacted? Mm-hmm. I know they're being robbed constantly. They're right. being burglarized mm-hmm. constantly. Tell me what you need. What do you want to see from the DA's office? We need that table to be active. And, wow. and and not just summon people to the Hall of Justice. I want to get out in the communities, all of our communities. I want to put a prosecutor in every neighborhood. Amazing. To work with the police and to interface with the community. I want people to know if they have a problem, they don't have to call some general number at the DA's office and get, you know, tossed around right. department to department. Mm-hmm. I want them to know. Mary Smith is my neighborhood prosecutor. I'm going to call Mary and tell her what I think. I want Mary at that neighborhood council meeting. Mm -hmm. We have to connect and we have to get rid of the language barriers that exist between our communities. Mm -hmm. We do a pretty good job with Spanish, Mm -hmm. but we can do better. Mm -hmm. 
We have a lot of other ethnic communities that don't speak English as a first language, and we're not translating what we do into their language. We got to do better than that. And and you know you wow. you we talked about your 25 years of experience and your 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 wisdom, like it reaches so much further than that. It sounds like you have 50 years of experience. Right. You should be having a right. whole set of gray hair like me. <laughs> Obviously, mine's colored, but <laughs> so you know, being the LA district attorney, I'm already manifesting the fact you're going to be it. But when you see anybody else, yeah, we don't see that in at all. So being the the future LA district attorney, is that your, not just your calling, but do you believe that that's where you're going to stop? You're going to continue being that, or is there a a further approach of the legal system you're going to go to besides just being in that position? Well, for now, that's my goal. Okay. Um, And there's a lot of work to be done there. And I'd be so honored if people gave me the opportunity to do it. And someone asked me, you know, is there some possibility that you would run for office beyond that? And I would never say never. If I thought that I could do some good in a broader way, Mm -hmm. uh, it would be selfish of me to say no. But, um, you know, that's so far from where we are today. I I just want to become the leader of the organization that I've, in, in a sense, been a leader of, not the leader, but a leader in for a long time now. And now uh, I do feel like without without overstating it, it feels like destiny to me mm-hmm. that I would start off in a neighborhood that I was born into, grow up in an environment immersed in crime, become a crime fighter, and now seek leadership of the largest local prosecuting agency in the country to fight crime on behalf of, of victims and on the behalf of the public that just want, we just want to live our lives. We want to have a good time. Yeah. You know, we want to be able to go out, right. walk the neighborhoods, with wear whatever we want to wear without fear of having to leave it home and hide it because somebody might come into the house when we're not there. That's not how civilized people should live. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have to go to stores and see everything locked up mm-hmm. and have to press a, a button and stand there for 10 minutes until right. somebody... It's it's ridiculous, right? Truly, I mean, we're literally sitting in Rodeo on Rodeo Drive. Our our last office was on Sunset Strip, and you know these are some of the world famous destinations of the world. And again, we can't even enjoy ourselves. You know, we're dressed up in suits and we're running into our offices, or like we said earlier, coffee shops. Uh, for ourselves, we're real estate agents and loan officers, so we actually are planning. You know, once we have a great amount of funds that we can donate to the actual community. Mm-hmm. We want to do that, but we want to do it in, in, and involve the justice system. We want to be able to help clean up these streets and have, you know, more police officers or enforcement. But like you said, that work with the community, you know, mm-hmm. everybody trusts each other. But we see this vision. We see LA coming back to where it used to be, you know, pre-COVID, where, again, Yes, it's L.A. and we kind of know where we need to be at yeah. night or, you know, how to protect yourself. But it's just so crazy. Nowadays, we can't have we can't feel like that anymore. So we know with the right you know, people in place like yourself for D.A. that the world can change here in Los Angeles County for the better. Oh, we can definitely come back from this. Yes, I feel it. We, we've done it before. The yes. Things were pretty dark in the 90s mm. and we came back in a big way. Yeah, we can come back. But it's going to take resolve. Right. And people have to have a certain fortitude to deal with difficult problems. Mm -hmm. Um, Compassion alone doesn't get the job done. You've got to have a certain fortitude because compassion isn't always soft, right? Sometimes compassion has a tough edge of expectation to it. 
And yeah. there's some people who aren't built for that, right. and that's fine. Let the people who are built for that do it. Definitely. And, and we're talking about whether it's the homeless or drug addicts. Feeling sorry for them alone is not going to mm-hmm. get it done. Mm-hmm. Our young people who are at risk, feeling sorry for them because maybe they lost their mother and or father, is not going to get it done. I needed expectations. You know, I needed goals. I, yeah. I needed structure. I needed discipline. Right. Because people just feeling sorry for me because I lost my parent and making excuses for my behavior wouldn't have landed me in this seat today running for D.A. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. You you also talk about the Mamba mentality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I love that. I love that because it really connects with, you know, uh, individuals like us. Uh, yeah. uh, we have that type of drive as well, the Mamba mentality. Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah. You know, we had a debate the other day. <laughs> yeah. And on the way over to the debate, I saw the unveiling of the statue. It was a very moving moment. But yes, we saw that. Yeah. Incredible woman, very yes. brave person. Um. And so I got to the debate and the moderator said, OK, everyone introduce yourselves. And yeah. I'm sitting there listening to every candidate say the same thing. Yeah, I'm so and so. I've been a lawyer. So and I see I'm tired of just stating the same platitude. Yeah. And Kobe was on my mind. There you and go. I was like, what if we had a D.A. who attacked the job with the same passion mm-hmm. as Kobe Bryant did that. everything in his life? And it does. You know, I gave that introduction where I talked about bringing the Mamba mentality to the DA's office yeah. and that relentless pursuit of justice on behalf of everybody, whatever that looks like. Sometimes that means dismissing a case because the evidence just isn't there. And then sometimes that means pursuing a very serious sentence for somebody because they did something very, very bad and horrific. But whatever justice is, attacking it, with yeah. fervor and passion, yeah. that's the Mamba mentality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that it's exactly what Ali needs, right? Yeah, and yeah. and you know what? I'm a, I'm a big believer in things um, that happen in the world for people. I feel like um, there's people feel very victimized. I feel like people feel that. I mean, some people, right? They feel like things happen to them, but I think it happens for them. I feel like we learn from our own experiences. Like even things that are going on in the community right now that we're gonna, that you're going to be fighting so hard to fix. They're, they're here, they're present because we as human beings mm-hmm. need somebody like yourself that can come in and say, all right, yeah. we've seen it, we fell victim to it, we feel stuck, right. and now it's time to take off the glue and put in a new, you know, maybe a new Band-Aid, right? right? And eventually it's cured, right? The Band-Aid is only temporary, mm-hmm. but be able to replace that because I feel like even the situation with your case, mm-hmm. I feel like things like that have happened to make you a better human being. I mean, we wouldn't have you here in your position looking for what you're looking to do without the situations you went through. At least I believe that. Mm-hmm. Life is so mysterious. And when I think about, I can't think about losing my parents without thinking about the incredible gift of being parented by my sister. Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand. You couldn't have one without the other. Now, obviously, I would have chosen not to have lost my parents. Of course. But when those things happen in life, uh, whether you believe in God or the universe or whatever you believe in, Mm -hmm. usually will make another way for you. You know, Mm -hmm. that's it. Wow. If you if everyone took a moment to think about the bad things that happened in life, there were some opportunities that came along. 
Mm. Now, whether you avail yourself of those opportunities or not is is on you. Yeah. But usually there are people who will step up and fill voids. And that's that's the wonderful thing about people, even strangers. Mm-hmm. I, and, you know, I talk mainly about my sister, but there were other important people in my life, too, who might have only shown up for a month or a year. But in that period of time, they did something to help mm-hmm. me. Um, and And of course, you know, I'm trying to give back by doing everything that I can to be a good person and now to to seek this position where I could do a greater good. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. That was very deep. So we really appreciate you. And, and honestly, we appreciate you coming on our on our little Eli and Mike show. We love we it. Really, I love it. No, we're, we're, we're making history here, guys. Yeah, so, right. <clears throat> so, John, if you can um, let everybody know where to find you, how, how we can make this uh, a way that we can connect with you on social media. Yeah. Okay. So here it goes, everyone. You only have about two and a half weeks left to vote. You only have about two weeks left to really help me. And you can help me um, by making a donation to my campaign and or sharing uh, this podcast with your friends and family or just telling them about me. Uh, If you want to learn more about me, you can go to my website at McKinney4LA.com. That's McKinney4LA.com. But I'm far more active, actually, on Instagram. Okay. It's kind of my headquarters on the social media platform. And that's at John McKinney underscore. John McKinney underscore for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Amazing. Fantastic. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, John, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on our show. My pleasure. Much more, I'm not going to lie, more than what we expected. <laughs> I mean, just because legal, you start thinking about a little the dry. guy. Yeah, it could yeah. be very, like... Direct. You were a lot of fun. Yeah, so I, and I appreciate the honesty and, and you got voters out of us. So I appreciate thank you very much for everything. So, so to the next DA of Los Angeles, thank hey, you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Okay, so before we go, we have to stress the fact that whether you're old, whether you're young, it doesn't matter. You have to make sure that you get out there, you vote. Mr. John McKinney for DA District Attorney of Los Angeles. Yes, absolutely. So very, very important, March 5th. Do not miss the opportunity. You are a citizen of America, of California. You need to figure it out because otherwise you're going to let somebody else run the system for you. And I'm sure you're very unhappy how it is. Figure this out by voting for the amazing John McKinney. He's here, present, ready to attack those problems you see on your street. So don't deny the fact that you belong to live in a very good place. So vote March 5th. Don't miss it.